Hello, and welcome to episode 51 of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. I am Matt Larson, your co-host, and with me, as always, is... Cricket Lou. And today, we have not one, but two special guests. We are really excited to have uh, my good friends and former colleagues at Dine, Kyle York, who's Chief Strategy Officer, and Joe Abley, who's... Joe, I don't know what you do. I don't know what I do either. <laughs> so welcome, welcome, Kyle and Joe. Thank you for having us. So this is the first time we've done two guests and four people, so this will be very exciting to edit this and get this stitched together. This is going to require cutting-edge technology. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it'll work. If you're hearing this, it meant that it worked. Thanks, guys, for being with us. Um, I think probably... The thing that all of our millions of listeners want to hear about is when Dine was in the news last October. It was October 21st, I think, right? Yes. Yep, October 21st. That's right. So that was an exciting day for for everyone, including former Dine employees like me. People called me up and said, "What what's going on? What do you what do you know?" And so maybe can you guys just tell us tell us what happened from your perspective? I think that's what people would probably be interested in hearing it, you know, directly from the source. Sure. Well, I can start and Joe can uh, fill it in with uh, some deeper technology and uh, network understanding. But, you know, I think the this is Kyle speaking. Uh, it's great to be back, by the way, gentlemen. I, I don't think I've been back since an inside baseball uh, group uh, group <laughs> uh, session, uh, therapy session on DNS. So it's, it's great to be here. Um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You're a repeat guest. I forgot. I know. That. I know. I've, I've crashed a few parties um, a few different times and uh, enjoyed it thoroughly. So it's good to be here. But, you know, th- that day on October 21st, uh, 2016 was a, a really big day in the kind of life of the internet and, you know, the, the really sh- shown a light on the importance of the DNS system. Uh, as well as, you know, educated the market on what a DDoS attack actually is and how, how they can be, be launched and also how they can be mitigated. Um, and the day, the day for us, uh, just to kind of summarize, was a multi-wave, uh, multi-hour um, attack on our uh, managed DNS infrastructure globally and created inaccessibility to many websites, uh, high latency to many websites. And, you know, the original attack happened to be during the morning commute uh, on the East Coast of the U.S. as one of our East Coast data centers was being attacked. And, you know, through the, through the fair, you know, we were collaborating with everybody from the infrastructure ecosystem to competitors, to partners, to customers, um, obviously with law enforcement because the attacks were of such a, a high scale and complexity. And you know, it turned out that it was many variants of the Mirai botnet, uh, which was something that we had seen, um, you know, obviously, but to this scale and complexity and, and it was the first we had seen of this magnitude. Uh, it was definitely a wild day, but we obviously, given the fact that we've got 3,500 enterprise customers on this network, um, it was all about the customer and the kind of team rallying together to make sure that we not only mitigated the attack in a timely manner, but also communicated very um, proactively and transparently with our customer base as we learned things throughout the day. And again, it was just a, a real credit to our network operations teams um, you know, who were able to put different mitigation techniques and, and you know, playbooks and automation and you know, collaborate with our upstream providers and our DDoS scrubbing provider partners uh, throughout the day to make, you know, 
limit the impacts as best we could. Um, but it was wild and a truly, truly, in hindsight, a tremendous event for the global DNS community because I think it, you know, people don't know the name Dyn or don't necessarily pay attention to DNS, and all of a sudden, you know, they do, given an event of that kind of mainstream uh, uh, awareness. So, you know, in hindsight, obviously, and and you know, over the over it, um, you know, I, I do think in the end, in the long run, it was a really, really good thing for our industry. Yeah, I guess enough time has passed now that we can call it a good thing, right? <laughs> Probably didn't look that way the day no. of. No. Well, I, I guess it's a it's a it's a funny thing. People ask about how how we handled the attack, and then from this distance from it, the answer is always, "Well, which attack do you mean?" Because we had um, Chris Chandler, who runs our knock. He he produced a graph for me the other day because somebody was interested in this line of line of questioning, and it showed the number of attacks that were severe enough to require mitigation. And he ran this report over, I think, the pre previous 90 days, which is, or 300 days. I think it was 300 days, because whatever he was using to draw the graph had a limit of 300 days. And um, it's one of those graphs that looks like an internet graph. It's up and to the right, and it's exponential, and it's climbing. And hmm. the number of attacks per week, we used to count these things in attacks per week. Now we count them in attacks per day. And... And so in terms of the, the volume, I mean, the, 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 the thing about this attack on the 21st, the thing that made it different, I think, was that we were attacked in so many different ways at the same time. And, you know, it wasn't so much the volume. We have enormous capacity. We know how to rate limit things. It was really the fact that we had every variant that the Mirai botnet can throw at someone, we had all of it. And we had it from different instances of Mirai botnets. We had it from different sets of hosts with different names, um, different different queue names. We had TCP SYN attacks overlapping with UDP flood attacks, overlapping with uh, GRE-wrapped UDP DNS attacks, which was an interesting one. I, I guess that just demonstrates a lot of people just whitelist GRE encaps on the outside of the network because they have you know upstream arbors and, and prolexic-type services, and, uh, and they expect everything that's wrapped in GRE is safe. Say, say more about that, Joe. Well, you know, um, like like many people, you know, one of one of one of our mitigation strategies is to make use of off-net scrubbers. Um, so we'll we'll take the traffic inbound from somewhere else. We will route it through something that can manage that traffic and scrub out all the bad things off our network, and and then we encapsulate it in a tunnel and send it back to our network. So this is. This is the kind of uh, service that uh, VeriSign launched, for example. Prolexic was a, a famous early instance of this kind of service, um, even before they were at Akamai. And um, so it's very common that you get your scrub traffic delivered back to your network over the internet through a tunnel. And those, those tunnels, in, in terms of packets, look like GRE encapsulated whatever, whatever the scrub traffic is. Um, so it was, it was one that I was surprised by. I wasn't expecting to see that. But um, it turns out that, I guess, enough people even though they have filters at their border um, for all kinds of different kinds of traffic, they will whitelist GRE traffic from anyone because that's the easiest way of being able to use different mitigation services when when you're in a in a struggle. And, um, and, and this was designed to bypass those filters at the edge. I was just going to say that's, that's uh, similar to, I think, what uh, Brian Krebs reported was used in the attack against uh, his website. Yeah, I, I think I, I think that's right. I mean, from what I've what I've what I've heard, and I haven't done, um, haven't been concentrating so much on the analysis side, but 
we saw traffic from end, end devices that were very similar to the population of devices that attacked Krebs on security. So it wouldn't surprise me that the similar toolkits are, are attacking with a similar range of options. Um, so anyway, we, we saw all these different kinds of traffic all thrown at us at the same time. And all of this stuff started around the time that people are normally just fueling up with caffeine to sit down at their desk <laughs> and start their day. Well, that's Joe. That's how it happened for me. I mean, I was I was yeah. cru I was cruising into the office, and I always joke that we have one very, very, very large scale partner and client who tends to call my cell phone before our own knock, <laughs> and uh, that's exactly what happened to me. You know, so so we ran in, and the team was already trying to find each other and, and corral each other into a large conference room here um, and get to work and figuring out, you know, sort of where this was all coming from. And yep. I think, Joe, speak a little bit to the fact that it wasn't like, um, you know, a lot of folks thought it was a singular customer domain being attacked or, you know, a singular data center in our network. Um, you know, it was really kind of a moving target throughout the day to add even more complexity uh, on what, you know, where the attacks were being pointed. Um, I think right. that also added a whole other level of, of uh, dynamic to this. No, I, th I think that's completely right. And, I, you know, it's, it's, it's also natural when you're trying to deal with one particular attack amongst the various overlapping attacks, you naturally shift traffic around anyway. I mean, this is how we mitigate attacks generally. We'll shift traffic between regions, between data centers, between transit providers at a particular site. Um, we'll, we'll redirect traffic through off-site scrubbers. We, we won't do that. We'll apply different kinds of rate limit. And um, so traffic's naturally moving around because we're mitigating it. It's also moving around because we've got new attacks starting, you know, every 10, 20 minutes. And so what's, what we're left with is a really complex situation where in order to try and mitigate all this stuff at once, we have to take all the tools we've got. And we also need to invent a, probably a couple of new ones. And we somehow have to get every member of the team that's looking at all this stuff to coordinate with each other. They're not all in the same room. They're not all in the same continent, you know. Um, and then right in the middle of that, we had things where there were, there were periods of time where some of the tools that are required to, to sort of co collaborate between these distributed teams, those are becoming flaky. And ah, it, was, it was complicated. And it was as complicated, I think, from the perspective of how to manage a big distributed team from customer support right through to you know network surveillance to network engineering to the people who are building tools you know as as well as the traffic on the wire so this was a, a challenge that pretty much hit up everybody in the organization and when that happens then you have the last great challenge which is when everybody's involved and everybody's impacted how do you communicate in a more effective way than everybody just shouting at once in the same room and a little secret I'd like to tell you guys uh, today is October 21st, 2016 is a special place in our company's history, not just for this DDoS attack. That was actually the day that we got a countersigned, fully executed letter of intent for Oracle to acquire us. <laughs> and <laughs> Literally the same day. Literally the same day. And I'm telling you, we, we had actually signed it uh, the night before. Um, and, and I'm mm -hmm. comfortable telling this story now that the deal has officially closed as of this recording. <laughs> so uh, I feel good about it. <laughs> um, but, you know, we had, we had countersigned it ourselves the night before, and we're literally just waiting for the fully executed version um, as we came into the office that day. And so... You must have right. been terrified. Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, and then this happened. And honestly, <laughs> such a small, small population, we did an incredible job of keeping 
you know, this obviously private as a public company was acquiring us. So only about five or six of us even knew about this, but we had to bring a few people over the wall, as they say, uh, to let them know that, you know, as much as this DDoS attack is obviously important for, you know, customer experience and, and, you know, making sure that we deliver on that promise and our SLAs and such, it was also, you know, in the throes of, you know, major, major, major acquisition from, you know, arguably the number one enterprise technology company in the world. Um, and so that was going on. There was like due diligence calls in the middle of the day, calls with bankers, calls with lawyers. And I, I personally was diving from, you know, customer conversations one-on-one, a partnership customer, you know, conversations one-on-one group calls, press and media. We did, we did, um, like press conferences because we were just getting so inundated. It was impossible. Uh, so funny. Our, our, our actual, um, phone teleconference uh, system had a limit of like 50 people and (laughs) (laughs) we kept on hitting the limit before we'd even dial in. So we'd have to like kick people off. Um, I mean, it was just a wild day that started at 7 a.m. Eastern and, you know, basically went, you know, long over the long weekend. I don't think that one day ever ended. (laughs) Um, Did you guys, did you guys wonder, Kyle, about the the timing, I mean, it just seems so coincidental. And, and of course, it, it seems to have been coincidental. But did you did you think to yourself, I wonder if somebody has has painted a target on us because of this acquisition? Oh, did it leak? Are you kidding me? Of course we did. Um, we were losing our minds, right? We were conspiracy theorizing everything possible. And again, looking back on it months later, I mean, we were wondering if we were being like tested by, you know, as due diligence by the acquirer, um, which we can joke oh, about now. Um, we, we were wondering if uh, competitors and or um, other potential strategics uh, were, were, you know, caught notice, uh, disgruntled employees or former employees had figured this out. Um, you know, just general bad actors who, you know, might be using this for, you know, we were, we're seeing a lot of ransomware style DDoS attacks lately. Um, we had no idea, right? And obviously your mind goes to the gutter and you think the worst. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was something else. And it was, you know, it was tricky on who to, I can remember Adam Coughlin, our head of corporate communications. I literally, um, I grabbed him by the shirt when he walked in and put him up against the wall. And I said, this is the biggest day of your life. <laughs> I said, we have to communicate transparently, proactively, honest and openly with all comers today. And we, that tends to be our strategy. You guys have known us a long time. I mean, Matt, you spent years mm-hmm. working here at Cricket. We've been incredibly close in the industry. That's always been our approach, but obviously the stakes were pretty darn high for a myriad of reasons that day. Yeah. But, you know, you'll look back on, on that one. I think of the times at, uh, I guess it was mostly at VeriSign that I was involved in things like that, you know, big, big, either attack situations or a crisis that brings the team together. I mean, I look back on that as the best days of my professional career, you know, because that, that it, it's just really exciting. And of course, it's, it's, it's easy to say when you're uh, removed from time and there's a little, uh, little distance well, no, in between. I mean, but Matt, I mean, I was saying that the day of, right? Like, I think companies, especially, you know, this one and any startup, especially in infrastructure, you know, you you scale and you scale fast on both the technology and the business side. And you tend to see silos get created in organizations, right? And, and Dyn was not immune to that. And candidly, um, 
you know, having been a guy who's been here for, you know, over eight years and lots of different ebbs and flows and, and team members who have come and gone, um, it was our absolute proudest moment. And the team, I know it sounds cliche, but in the team coming together and every silo or barrier or, you know, bias that might have existed in a business that's scaling, <laughs> right? Um, they all, all the, all that dropped that day. And every, I mean, it was, it was really unbelievable around here. And Joe, Joe, you can probably attest to the same. Well, yeah, I don't think anybody on the technical side that day was thinking to themselves, you know, I'm going to look back on this and smile. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> because, you know, every, everybody, of course, you know, wants the attack to stop. But even when the attack does stop, I mean, you get to breathe for 20 minutes before the next one starts, um, before the next set starts. But you don't actually really get to to relax because you've, you've, this has been going on all day. And we had, you know, I, I forget exactly the number now, but I think 20 or 30 different attacks that weekend. And in, in a way, like I started talking before about the sort of the human factors, almost like the management aspects of how do you get people to to rally around and, and work constructively together when you have to think on your feet and, and you have to design a system as you're going. And uh, the pressure's on. <laughs> ah, just, it's still pressure, fresh in your mind. <laughs> That's right. Well, there's there's fatigue, too. You can only keep that up for so long. Well, I mean, it was that... The, I think that part of the difficulty, and I touched on this before, this all started around the time that the coffee was intending to be kicked in in a normal daily routine. So everybody on the East Coast, which is most of our people, were awake when it started. And you can't tell people, even when it's obvious this is going to take a while, you can't tell people, okay, well, you quarter of you need to go away now and just relax and get some sleep or something. Because first yeah. of all, who can sleep during the middle of the day? But secondly, it's a stressful situation. Nobody wants to be the one that walks away. So, you know, when, you, when, the, when the whole sort of pressure doesn't let up and two days later, you've got some people who have barely slept for three days. I mean, we, we have routines for, for putting people off shift to try and make that work. We have people in different time zones. We've got uh, people in Sydney. We've got people in... Uh, in Brighton in the UK. So it's part of that can just take care of itself. But the, still the concentration of all of our people were in the Eastern time zone. So it's almost like the you know, if this, this attack had started in the middle of the night, it would kind of be better because yeah. some people could have stayed asleep and other people could have been woken up and we could have managed that rotation more effectively. But even the challenge of you know people who've been on their feet effectively for sometimes 48 hours, you can't expect them to function correctly. But at the same time, they put all that effort in. And you have to be sensitive when you try and pull them away from the action and say, no, you have to go and turn your, turn off Slack, turn off email, turn off your phone, no hangouts, and you just need to go stare out the window for two hours and calm down because <laughs> we need people who are more fresh <laughs> yeah. to be able to look at this right now because that's that's what's best for the situation. And you got to remember when these things happen, I mean, like in events when they're not happening, people have jobs to do, right? So, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, I remember jumping on a plane that Sunday to literally go to the West Coast for customer meetings and the beginnings of due diligence with Oracle. And we were still under attack, right? And it was just, I mean, it was just one of those surreal, you know, moments where, I, I think I even did a Today Show interview. Did you guys happen to catch uh, my pretty face on? Uh, no, oh, on Today? Gosh, yeah, oh. Every, all housewives everywhere saw me. Um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and pretty quickly the discussion though became about like, internet volatility and, you know, the, the lack of security in the internet of things. And do you know how the internet works and that the things you, you connect to Wi-Fi can be taken over? I mean, it became this like much bigger story than died and, and a DDoS. And, and I think it, you know, 
really became more about the importance of the internet uh, to our daily lives. And, you know, almost like electricity and plumbing, right? You don't notice how it, it works or doesn't and until it's broken <laughs> or it's interrupted. And this has been something that I've just seen over the last few months now, you know, make the story much bigger and broader around sort of internet volatility, complexity, scale. Uh, and that's really where obviously the DNS is a, is a protocol that's, you know, 30 years old and probably wasn't built for this level of scale um, and just requires uh, much more thoughtfulness in how it's deployed. Um, and, 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 you know, we, we obviously are one of the leading providers of it. So we're in a good yeah. position there. That, I was going to say that that touches on, touches on an interesting angle as well, which came up. I mean, we at Dyn have been advising everybody who'll listen to have, you know, other providers as well as us, just as part of a sensible strategy for deploying anything, for a long time, long long before October twenty first. But I think this became mm -hmm. a much more meaningful conversation after October twenty first when people saw the number of major web properties that just had Dyn as their DNS provider. Yep. And, yeah. you know, and that's that has been that's worked fine for them for years because you know Dyn has a good reputation for uptime, but you can't. I mean, what what the I guess came home in a very visceral sense was you even the best sometimes are going to have a bad day, and and we had our bad day. So one of the things I hope that will come out of this, and I hope this hasn't sort of just disappeared into people's memories after the time that's passed since October, is we need a way of taking some of these advanced features that Dyn provides, you know, the geolocation, the, the dynamic steering of traffic to particular places based on a, a raft of criteria. We need a more, uh, we need more interop around this. We need people to be able to choose multiple providers, but still get the features they need that they've come to depend on over the past few years. I, I hope that conversation doesn't fade away because I think it's an important one. Yeah, that's that's something that we've talked about actually on on previous episodes, I think, right, Matt? And yeah, but to just press on that a little bit, I mean, whose whose interest is that in, right? That that, that would be great for uh, for customers, but what's the motivation for all of the competitors to get together and interoperate? Well, I, I think I mean Kyle probably has more numbers about this. I don't know if he can, you know, whether that's a reasonable thing to share. But I, I think what I heard, not being sort of a sales and marketing person, is that yes, we had some customers who needed to go and pick up secondary service elsewhere to mitigate the risk they suddenly realized they had. But we also had people from other providers who got the message, even though their stuff stayed up because their provider didn't have a bad day on that particular day. You know, it was pretty clear to a lot of people relying on one provider is not the best idea. So, I mean, I heard more than one salesperson say we 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 grew we we grew the revenue. We added as many yeah. customers on and surrounding October twenty first as we as we shared with other providers. So, well, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think this is all about redundancy, right? And there's there's no better technology, you know, in the cloud uh, than DNS to deploy a redundant solution right and, and and especially as we see more things going to a hybrid deployment or a hybrid cloud deployment where there's on-prem infrastructure and cloud-based infrastructure so I mean Joe's exactly right I think your question Matt on you know how does that happen when the benefits are you know commercial entities you know you know trying to make good on the global DNS for their customers but I think what you're seeing is a great deal of commoditization in the advanced functionality of DNS services. And you're seeing, again, major, major, major enterprise technology companies like Oracle and Microsoft and Amazon and IBM, you know, 
become the mainstays of these advanced traffic management, disaster recovery technologies. And you know, over time, I think if enough customers demand it, you're going to see collaboration need to happen further. Uh, but you know, you're right. It's a it's a tricky game in the in the sector where these this these protocols have become commercial. You know, co- com- commercial companies have built on top of them. I think that it has to come from customer demand. I mean, that the customers will simply insist that there be some way to to transfer the metadata that they use to to do you know geolocation or whatever from one place well, to another. Well, it's an AP. I mean, we have customers who you know will use our traffic director functionality in conjunction with you know competitor uh, like functionality and leverage our APIs and, you know, um, and, and do it. It's just, it's not just seamless or out of the box or simple, right. Um, or exact necessarily in the GOIP databases being used or the, you know, exact mapping of services. Uh, but we do have customers who run primary, primary cloud-based DNS services and leverage advanced features. Um, it's just not necessarily a, a perfect, a perfect map. Well, you've said, uh, to change the subject a little bit, you've said Oracle a couple of times. So uh, that's sort of the uh, the elephant in the room about this conversation and, and dying. So, I mean, tell us about that. That was a pretty big announcement that I think caught a lot of people by surprise. Yeah, we're excited about it. You know, I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of uh, good activity in the, the DNS space. You know, I, I mentioned, obviously, the Oracle acquisition of Dyn, Um officially closed on January 31st of 17 and announced on literally one month to the day of that attack. It was November 21st, um, my mother's birthday, uh, that this mm. was, this was announced, um, publicly. So, you know, but I think you've seen, you've seen, I mean, just, geez, a little over a year and a half ago, you saw open DNS pick up recursive DNS provider, um, or Cisco was acquire, acquiring open DNS in recursive. And you've seen some companies get funded. You've seen, as we mentioned, a lot of the majors, uh, like Microsoft and Google and others launch, you know, authoritative managed DNS solutions. Um, so this has been sort of a trend of, of these services becoming more relevant and more, um, you know, more more premium and more um, seriously taken by the major cloud provider providers and hardware vendors. So I think Oracle is no different. I mean, their approach to infrastructure cloud is one of best of breed. That you know, Oracle uh, tries and, and and their game plan has always been to have the best technology at every layer. And you know, they very publicly have stated that they were a little slow moving to the cloud, but are really trying to catch up at all layers of SaaS, PaaS, and, and IaaS. And so we're actually joining a team of uh, folks out of Seattle, uh, many former Amazon and Azure uh, employees who are tasked with building uh, this enterprise grade, best of breed um, IaaS solution, and obviously DNS and load balancing and our email delivery and messaging products and our data sets are going to be a core component integrated into that uh, and into that uh, platform. I would think with uh, Amazon's head start and Microsoft's head start, I, I think that's a tall order. I'm not saying you guys can't do it. I'm just saying it's uh, it's going to be a lot of work in the next few years. Well, I think it was good timing, right, for for us from an acquisition perspective as a major milestone for the business. But if you just think about the amount of companies who are built on top of Oracle databases or Oracle legacy applications, not in the cloud, that are running those solutions in captive data centers. Uh, you know, 
think of it that simply. If if those customers can move to either cloud, you know, apps built on top or cloud plat- platform as a service database solutions built on top of Oracle's IaaS, and or bring legacy infrastructure and fork it onto their bare metal cloud. Um, even that alone is a massive captive audience of customers, right? So it's kind of this like existential thing for Oracle where their legacy business needs to move on to a cloud. Is it going to be Amazon or Azure or IBM or is it going to be Oracle? So, you know, I think they have a real opportunity just with their own customer base um, and their legacy business and the existential need for them to move to cloud. Um and it'll be interesting to see the long tail of it because Dyn's obviously historically worked really well with the cloud native sort of DevOps community. And it'll be interesting to see if Oracle can also tap into that sort of public cloud uh, marketplace as well. But, but, but even if, if all the adoption is from legacy customers, um, that's still going to be big success for Oracle. All right. Well, we appreciate the discussion on the attack and tell us a little bit more about that and, you know, I guess congratulations are in order. I mean, absolutely. I mean, Oracle, Oracle acquisition. I mean, that's 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 great news. Yeah, it's great. We're we're excited for this next phase. I mean, it's going to be definitely an interesting ride. Um, you know, but we're excited about the team that we're going to be working with. It feels like we're joining a startup within a very very large company. Uh, and you know, hopefully they leave us alone and <laughs> let us execute and perform and. Uh, we're very confident, confident in that. They are running Dyn as a global business unit, of which myself and Scott Hilton are general managers. So they're keeping us alone, the brand staying, um, and we report up through Thomas Curian, who's a head of product. Um, so it's a product GBU, so it's going to be very technology product focused and people focused. So we're really pumped about it. Right, so Dyn is staying. You don't have to take the sign down off the top of the building. <laughs> uh, we might have to put a nice big red oracle in front of it, but uh, you know, I think that would be cost more money to take it down than leave it up. <laughs> Great. Well, it wouldn't be an Ask Mr. DNS episode if we didn't go to the mailbag. No, it wouldn't indeed. So we have, uh, we have one question from long-suffering listener Grant Taylor. I, Grant's asked us several questions over the years. I don't know. I, I don't know why he keeps coming back. We must be. <laughs> we must be giving answers that are at least partially correct. Um, so we talked just last episode about uh, the idea of having a C name at the apex and how that that doesn't work DNS wise uh, syntactically, semantically, and so various providers, including Dyn, uh, have come up with solutions to provide that same functionality, and so. Grant put on his uh, evil DNS hat and uh, says he proposes something here. Wonders if it would work. Um, so, so now is the, the part of the show where I try to have to explain the um, the DNS zone file in front of me uh, and, and make that work on radio, which I think is uh, unlikely to be terribly successful. But uh, what he's basically suggesting is, if if I can summarize here, you know, could you configure your server? Let's say example.com is your zone and you want to have a CNAME at example.com pointing off into a, a content delivery network. So if you want to do that, you, as we talked about last time, you, you, you can't have an actual CNAME at example.com if that's the apex or the, the top of a zone. So he says, why not just get around that? Could you make your server authoritative for .com or even the root, uh, have the NS records at .com, have an SOA record at .com, and then in that case, you certainly can have a CNAME at example.com because it's not special anymore. It's not 
the apex of the zone. It's not a delegation. It's just a, a name in the in the com zone. So he's asking, uh, would would that work? I think that that in that case, what you've done is deliberately created a lame delegation, where <laughs> the de- delegation from your parent zone to you does not match the zone that uh, your name servers are authoritative for. So. Uh, I'm trying to I, I imagine, for example, if uh, you were a recursive name server and you followed ref- a referral from the actual com name servers to these name servers for, say, you know, example.com, and they replied with an uh, an answer that included in the authority section a set of NS records for com, what the what the name server would do, I, I it it might well discard the answer. Yeah, we're off in territory where we're we're not specified at all, right? So it's, I mean, a lame delegation technically would be where you follow a referral and it's at or above the zone that you are, uh, that you queried, like where you get referred somewhere else. Would you agree with that, Cricket, that the lame delegation is where you follow a referral and you get another referral? Um, not necessarily. A lame delegation could simply be one where you follow the referral and you query the name server and the name server says, I am not authoritative for that zone. I guess you're right. Let's say, though, even if even if the server didn't check the recursive server, let's say it was willing to accept the answer, what does it do with those COM NS records that are also in the answer? And so now you get into more trouble with if it does a naive thing of uh, accepting the response, but then Ooh. somehow caching <laughs> those COM NS records, now you're really in trouble. But surely that, that doesn't happen since the various bug fixes following the Kaminsky attack was publicized. I mean, we don't promote things in the authority section to the cache in the naive way that we did back in bind four days, right? No, you're right. But then again, you know how long the long tail is. And if it's possible oh, no, sure. if it's possible to get something wrong writing a DNS server, someone will do it. Yeah. No, I, I think my, my reaction to this question was that, you know, it's not really a, a case of what's correct and what isn't or what will work or what doesn't. It's a case of, you know, it's almost... Well, I'll give you three to one odds that it's probably fine. It's it's a matter of putting dollars on the table and seeing who wins, because it just depends. It depends who the clients are. It depends what resolvers they're using. I will say, though, that um, there is a bit of experience that we have from the real world, which is people who, uh, well, domainers, domainers who like to host tens of thousands of domains in a speculative fashion in order to sort of taste them and measure the traffic that they attract so they can give them some value. Those people routinely host com and net and org and similar TLD zones with wildcards in them because it's a lot cheaper to do that than it is to host, you know, 100 million separate zones on, on name server infrastructure. You can just, just host a, a handful for the TLDs. And they seem to do a reasonable job at tasting the domains, and if they didn't, I guess they wouldn't do it. So those are A records, I think, typically, but I don't know that I would necessarily put money on the fact that a C name was treated differently. Well, and that's really the answer to the question, which is since since you're off in the weeds here and you don't know if it's going to work or not, it's not something that you could depend on if you had to depend on it. So that would argue for not doing it. Well, the, the other thing we should mention is that this DNSSEC will break this. If any of this stuff is signed, then you will get a bogus response at some point and a validator will throw it away. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Guys, I, guys, I have nothing to add. <laughs> you nailed that. We're oh. <laughs> beat it into submission, one or the other. <laughs> well, we have we have a, a a new feature actually in in this episode because we got a uh, a, a correction from Hakan uh, Lindqvist, who's another one of our our uh, legion of listeners, 
and he is giving us some information about an answer that we gave. Um, I think it was in the last episode, wasn't it, Matt? It was also in the last episode about underscores and domain names. That's right. That's right. And and he says that basically, uh, to paraphrase him, our, our answer was correct in the in the in the general sense about underscores being permissible in domain names. Uh, as long as those domain names didn't refer to uh, particular hosts and and actually uh, underscores being sort of a standard within the labels of a domain name that owned uh, an SRV record. But he says, and now I'm quoting, regarding the specific question, one has to take into account what the DNS name in the CSR actually is. And for that, I think the most sensible place is uh, the subject alternative name section of RFC uh, 3280 where the subject name is no longer just a string, uh, also the form of subject representation that everything slowly seems to be shifting towards. Uh, And he quotes from uh, that RFC, when the subject alt name extension contains a domain name system label, the domain name must be stored in the DNS name, uh, let's see, which is an uh, IA5 string. The name must be in the quote, preferred name syntax, close quote, as specified by section 3.5 of RFC 1034 and is modified by section 2.1 of RFC 1123, uh, blah, blah, blah. And he says that is underscores are explicitly not allowed in this particular context um, because these names follow the rules for host names. And uh, I, I, would, uh, I would believe Hakan. <laughs> I think he's probably right about that. And uh, he, he points out that uh, we are not Mr. CA, we, we're Mr. DNS. Yeah, so I think to paraphrase that, what, he, what he's saying is the um, X509 folks uh, have come up with you know, yet another uh, syntax definition for what's a valid domain name. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 they're, and they're basically saying our rule is the rule in RFC 1034, which is more uh, restrictive and says no underscores. So if you're going to follow the uh, the syntax for what appears in X509 certificates and in certificate signing requests and you know, anywhere those names are passed around in that ecosystem, no underscores. Right, right. I think that if, if there's any lesson to be drawn from this, it, it, it's that there are a lot of things that use domain names but may apply stricter um, limits on what can go into those those names than DNS itself does. All right, our new correction segment. Yes, our, our errata section. Yes. <laughs> Guys, one thing I wanted to say to both of you and also to Joe, I mean, I personally have learned a lot from you, uh, fellas, in the, the years we've known each other in the DNS industry. And you know, I know that both your work goes back, uh, you know, you're a little older than I am. So you know, <laughs> you, 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 your work in the DNS space goes back a long, long time before I was in it. And you really, you really are trailblazers and truly uh, Mr. DNS. Mr. DNS is. Um, so again, I just wanted to thank you guys, uh, you know, for being supporters of, of mine personally, but also just of the overall, the overall space um, and, and shining a light on it. I mean, I can't believe it's your 51, 51st episode and you have all those millions of, uh, of listeners. It's just, it's just phenomenal. So <laughs> well, ten, tens work. of million at this tens point. Tens of million, especially after today's <laughs> yeah. episode. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Cool. Thanks, guys. Oh, very Appreciate welcome. it. Now, if we follow our usual format, though, we're, there's still one section of the podcast left, and that is witty banter. 
<laughs> the, the BSing portion yes. of the podcast, which every listener lo- looks forward to because it probably means they can turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. So what we need is something at the end like uh, This American Life does. Do you, do you listen to This American Life? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, so, you know, they, they call it the burn at the end where, you know, our co-founder, Tori Malatia, and then they pull some quote from the, uh, from some embarrassing quote out of context. So we, <laughs> right. we need something like that. Yeah, that or, or the guys at Car Talk, remember, uh, Tom and Ray Magliazzi used to, used to do something similar. They would go through their long list of funny names of, of imaginary staffers. I think our witty banter this time is meta-witty banter. That's right. <laughs> we're discussing we're discussing the best of witty banter, but uh, not providing any examples of our it's own. It's kind of like a subtweet or something, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Huh. Well, is that that all we have for witty banter? I think we've 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 fallen a little bit. The long pause would 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 seem to indicate we can always fall back to the weather. Well, no, it's I mean, finally I don't know, fellas. I mean, we've got a dynasty brewing in American football up here with the New England Patriots and oh, uh, Tom Pats, Brady yes. this weekend. Uh, you know, going for his fifth Super Bowl, Pre- you know, pretty impressive. Uh, it's not as exciting as DNS, but uh, you know, uh, it should be a nice Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, and of course, he's a Bay Area kid. Yeah, I grew up in San Mateo. Um, yeah, played for Sarah. Right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, parents are still out there. Um, you know, grew up loving Joe Montana, and now he's hopefully going to get one more Super Bowl than his idol. So it's really, really a great thing for those of us who like uh, sports and football and dynasties like the Patriots. And then everyone else hates hates us. But, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's okay. As somebody who doesn't really know what the Super Bowl is, I feel like this whole conversation has taken a dress, just really distressing. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're we're shying away from the third rail that is American politics. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll run we that. Well, we could all be happy about yeah. that for sure. Well, yeah. so the Super Bowl provides an excellent opportunity for those of us who are not into football to go eat or do whatever we want and have no crowds whatsoever. That's right. Well, I'll remember like it was yesterday, Dine does this, and Matt and Joe remember this, and we do the Geek Week, remember? And uh, I remember presenting on American football to Dine. And, you know, I never felt like more of a geek because everybody was making fun of me that I had my high school helmet and my, you know, Pop Warner football jersey from when I was in seventh grade. And, you know, I think everybody in the crowd, every engineer looked at me like I was absolutely crazy, <laughs> um, of which maybe I am. Well, shall I? <laughs> There's a chorus of argument there, Kyle. No, no. Kyle. And on that note. <laughs> shall I take us out? Sounds good. All right. Well, as always, thank you guys very, very much for listening. Uh, thanks to Kyle York and Joe Apley for participating. Uh, we really do appreciate all of their insights into uh, Dyn's acquisition by Oracle and uh, the attack on Dyn. And we wish them all of the best. Uh, we would love to hear from you out there. Please do send your questions in to Mr. DNS. That is MRDNS at ask-mrdns.com. Uh, Matt, have you got an ETA on getting ask with no dash mrdns.com ready? Well, you know, you can't rush these things. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, And please tune in next time when we'll be back with another scintillating episode (laughs) of the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. Good night. Bye-bye.